Hey, peeps, this is Trish. I want to share something with you today. So back in the day when I was starting Spring OT, we had grown, we had some admin help, we had a therapist or two, and I had systems, let's put that in quotations, meaning I had like spreadsheets and Google Docs and more spreadsheets and a few emails. And finally, my therapist and my team, very small team, begged me to do something all under one umbrella. No more duct tape systems, they said, Trish. Please, please get a real system. So what did you do, Trish? Well, Ashley, let me tell you, <laughs> I always talk about time being precious and needing to buy back our time because we've only got two assets. We've got time is money and time is the most limited resource that we have. I'm on a mission to help OT entrepreneurs save that time, no more $10 tasks, so that you can use it for what really matters. And that is being the CEO of your company who can implement your growth. Only you can do that. Agreed. So, yeah, I know. I know you believe in this. So when you have systems in place, everything just falls into line. That chaos that you feel turns into order. The duct tape goes away. And you know, you become clear and have more control. So I want you, the listeners, to imagine what it would be like to have more time to pursue the ambitions and the mission and the impact that you want to have as you grow your OT business instead of just drowning in all those routine tasks. So you turned all that chaos into order and <laughs> yep. you got a system in place yep. and not just, you know, papers and Excel and duct tape, but you got an EMR that exactly. brought everything together. That is exactly why I built Therabyte for OTs just like you who are growing your business. And I know that that's a past version and a current version of you as you step back into working a little bit with clients. So uh, if you are still looking for that EMR to suit your needs, Therabyte is the EMR for OTs. So head over to therabyte.app to learn more about it. And if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, not only did I build the Therabyte, but I'm also guest coaching in Trisha's program, Road to 100K, until the end of June. We're so check that out, a, too. We're happy to have a systems expert in there. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome, Trish. Take care. Therabyte.app. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams. A Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. 
Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome OT entrepreneurs to episode 52 of the OT's Get Paid podcast. Today, we are talking to an expert, not an OT, but an outside the OT bubble expert about how to expand your team. We are specifically going to be talking about attracting, interviewing, and hiring. Now, what do most OT entrepreneurs do? Well, I can tell you because I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of you, and most of us leave hiring too long. We also have no idea who to hire next. So we find ourselves in a panic, we are already in overwhelm, and the thought of trying to find the right person for the right job, you don't even know what that job is, how to do the next steps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, leaves you in freeze, which brings on more overwhelm, which brings on more fight or flight or freeze, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this episode today is to help you get out of that cycle. Jamie and I break down the different categories of who you should be hiring at different stages of business and the steps to do this well. Don't know what stage of business you're at? Guess what? We've got you covered. We built a quiz. The OTs Get Paid quiz is on our website, which you can just, it's linked in the podcast resources at the bottom of this podcast. It will tell you where you are leaving money on the table. It will tell you where you rank in terms of start, grow, or scale. It will tell you the next steps you need to get to that next level so that you are making more money, but you are not spending more hours at work. And if you want to tell me more of what you want to hear on the podcast, I encourage you to join the OTs Get Paid Facebook group. Again, that is linked in our podcast resource show notes. It's really growing. It's growing really quickly. And bringing on an outside expert was actually something that we discussed in the OTs Get Paid podcast. And so many of you wanted an outside expert to be go beyond the OT world to hear from these experts. So Jamie Van Kike is a small business hiring strategist. She's a speaker. She also has her own podcast and she has a special download for all of you who are listening to this next episode. So I can't wait. Here is Jamie Van Kike. Welcome, Jamie. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I have to say, Jamie, I don't know if you know this, but I think you are only our third podcast guest who is not an occupational therapist. Wow. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I love that, that I have this opportunity to speak to your audience. You're so welcome. Well, at first I thought that, you know, 
OTs just wanted to hear from OTs, but I put a question out in the Facebook group and I was really surprised that like 90% of were like, no, just bring in anybody that's an expert on a topic that is important to us. And you indeed are our growing your team expert. So let's jump right in. Jamie, tell us how you get paid, meaning tell us about you and what you do. Yeah. So my business is called Growing Your Team and small business owners work with us to help them through the hiring process. So we do this in a few different ways. All of our packages are designed around getting businesses the right team member for their position and that position inside their company. So we really focus on who is your idea team member, not just someone who can do these tasks anywhere. And then we focus a lot on hiring education and hiring support. So we teach people how to navigate the hiring process. They can do it on their own. We write job postings and job descriptions for people. They're like, I got this hiring process, but I don't want to waste my time doing that. Or I don't have time to do those things effectively. And then we also do full service recruiting for some of our clients where we take over the entire beginning process of the recruitment process and say, here are your top candidates for you to interview and for you to make your decision. So our clients don't have to spend time reviewing resumes, posting jobs, interviewing candidates, and trying to figure out, is this person a good fit? Thank you. So you likely don't know, we had an episode way back in the very beginning, I think it was episode three, that talked about the Ascension model. And so if those of you who are listening to this podcast now haven't listened to that, please go and jump into that because it will really explain Jamie's offers. You know, she's created like an offer ladder or an Ascension model, meaning it's kind of a, you know, it's a DIY at the bottom, you know, in the middle, and then that top tier like white glove service. And you're in the service industry as well. So I always love highlighting that. Okay. So, you know, I don't want to jump into your resume. Obviously, I talked about who you are and what you do in the introduction. One of my favorite questions to ask now is that kind of small business owner to small business owner, fist on the table moment. What was it for you, Jamie, when you're like, you know what? I'm going to start growing your team. I'm going to be a small business entrepreneur. What was it? Yeah. So I'll share three main moments that got me to where I am now. The first one, when I was was working for corporate, I always knew I wanted to start my own business, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm going to learn for other people while I figure it out. And it was shortly after my second daughter was born. I was back at work. My daycare solution was only temporary because my mom was watching her until she went back to New York because we live in Florida and my parents are snowbirds. So knew it was only temporary. So it was a bad day of work finding out that the daycare I wanted to send my daughter to didn't have an opening for us at the Mm -hmm. timeframe that I needed. And I was just like, that's it. I quit. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. Thought about that for 30 seconds. And I said, I can't be a stay-at-home mom. This is <laughs> this is the this is the kick I need to start my own business. So that yeah. was that was thing number one. Well, the business I started was not the business I have now. I uh, attempted to start a software development business with my husband. Realized shortly into it that I hated it and needed to figure something else out. I took some time to work with a business coach to really help me figure out where my passions lied and what I should be focusing on. And one day she took us through this assessment. And reflecting back on my answers, every one of my answers, no matter what I was asked, no matter what the topic was, had the word people in it. Mm. And I was just like, okay, whatever I do needs to focus on the people inside a business. 
but I'm like, okay, well, what again? Like, what is that? Like, I had all this hiring experience from corporate. I knew the hiring process, but I wasn't really narrowed in on it yet. And then I was kind of reaching out to that part of the business process. And I attended a conference in 2018. And I love this conference because all the speakers really attended the entire conference too. And you got to really know the speakers on an intimate level. And the second day of the conference, it was breakfast. I was standing in line next to one of the speakers and she asked me what I did. And I gave her this long spiel and she goes, (laughs) I have no idea what you just said. We need to figure this out. And so we sat down over breakfast and she really helped me narrow in that I need to be helping people through the hiring process. That that's where my focus was. That's what I was passionate about. And from there, growing your team was fully born. What was the assessment, by the way? I know how these, I know how OTs think. What was so the- um... I, I don't know. It was a series of questions that she brought us through. I don't think it was a formal assessment. I think it was just questions that she had put together. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So that was about five years ago then. Is that correct? It was about four and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk as, again, before we get into this topic, I also want to, you know, really take advantage of the fact that you identify as female, you are a small business owner, and that's really, you know, the main group of demographics that listen to this podcast as well. So I would love it, and you can answer this in any way you want. I'd love to talk about where you were five years ago to now, and then where you want to be five years ago in terms of business growth? Yeah. So obviously five years ago, I was at the very bottom. I was making no Let's money Let's not say bottom. Whatsoever. Let's say beginning. <laughs> beginning. Yes. Okay. There we go. Yes. Well, and it probably affected a lot of stuff. I was, I was making a lot of investments and definitely in the red with my business, but it was all needed. It was needed for me to figure out where I needed to be. There was so much I didn't know about running a business and I needed to learn a lot in order to get to where I am today. So I didn't think starting a business was going to be so hard. I was just like, yeah, you hear some of those success stories. I'm like two months in and I'm making X amount of dollars per month. And you're like, okay, it can't be that hard. Totally. I remember booking a really expensive hotel room for a vacation at one point in time and saying, well, it'll be our reward because I'm bringing in all this money from my business. And needless to say, I think at that point in time, I still wasn't bringing in like anything. We couldn't even afford the <laughs> holiday in at that point. <laughs> so I was like, oh my goodness, like what do we do? Like, but you know, from there, at first it was very slow growth. I remember having goals, monetary goals at the beginning, where I'm like, this is my goal for the quarter. And it'd be like something as simple as like, I want to do four thousand dollars worth of revenue for the entire quarter, and I wouldn't hit it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, how am I ever supposed to really make this a success when I can't even get that amount of revenue in a quarter? Mm-hmm. And now it's completely different phase of business where now I'm actually pulling a decent income from my business. Yes. I am able to pay myself. I have an employee. I have you know revenue coming in every month that far outseeds that really challenging quarter goal I had four and a half years ago. Great. That is so exciting. And I so appreciate, you have a podcast too, and we were talking yes, before I do. we pressed record that, you know, your podcast is really well received. And also we have very similar podcasting styles. And I also appreciate 
the vulnerability and just being honest about this because we don't want to present the glossy facade. We really, we don't want to scare anybody off. And I really just appreciate without even discussing it ahead of time that you just kind of went there and was like, yeah, this is how it was in the beginning and it wasn't the best. Yeah. So tell me about the next five years. Do you have a goal or two you want to share with us? Yeah. So I don't know if I really have a full goal of where I want to be revenue-wise over the next Mm -hmm. five years, but I I definitely want to continue growing the business. I am probably 60% of the way to where I would love to pay myself monthly. So I'm paying myself a good income now and I'm paying myself roughly what I was when I left corporate. So I'm like that, that I feel good about, but I'm like, I want more out of my business. So I want to reach a certain level income wise per month for my business. And I'm about 60% of the way there. So I hope it doesn't take five years to get there. Mm -hmm. I hope in the next year and a half to two years, I'm paying myself what I want in my business every month. And Other than that, my goals for my business is really to continue expanding my team. When I think about the business that I want, I want to be the true CEO of the business and not necessarily involved in all the client work. I love doing the client work. So I don't know if I'd ever give it up completely, but I want a team, kind of like an agency model where I have different team members working with different clients that are doing what I do. Because I realize for as long as time I was like, oh, I'm imparting my knowledge onto my clients. I'm like, there's other people who are knowledgeable in this area too. It's not only me. So having a team that can do what I do. So right now I have one employee and I hope in the next five years to have at least 10 teams that are doing what I do under me. So whether that is 10 different employees or 10 groups of someone leading the recruiting process, leading the client focus work, and someone behind the scenes assisting them. This is amazing. You are just so in the sweet spot of where so many of our listeners are. It's so great. I'm so glad that you are answering these questions from me. You know, when you talk about client work, and we would talk about it and say clinical, right? But it's the Mm -hmm. same, same. I'm sure you've read the E-Myth by Michael Gerber and that really, because that was one of the table, what is it? What do I say? Fist on the table moments for me, which was like reading that book. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I'm working too much in my business and not enough on your business. And so I see, just to highlight that sentence again, for those who haven't heard me say it 800 times, um, you know, that's exactly where Jamie wants to shift to more. So, And I think that's important. Like, I had an employee before who was working for me very minimal hours and it reached a point where I said, I need more help in my business. And at first I was going to hire for something completely different than what my employee does now. And it just so happened when I was making the shift of me to saying, I need more help. My employee that I had, she got a new full-time job. So she couldn't, she couldn't support me anymore. And you know, she gave ample notice that she had to leave. And so it allowed me to hire one person instead of splitting out the work in between two. But it was really that thing of, okay, I'm, I want to hire for this, but then having to sit there and say, well, should I be hiring for that? I actually need to hire for something else because I need to get myself out of some of this work and say, nope, someone needs to do this. And then I need to do the stuff I was originally going to hire out for. Yes. And, you know, thank you for, you know, highlighting this because it's a really important point. And I don't think, I have just started speaking about this more with my private clients and my clients in the 100K club. Because I think a lot of the therapists that I speak to understand that a shift needs to be made and 
they don't even know the different buckets they could pull from. Mm -hmm. So we can't possibly talk about all the buckets and it's not in the scope of what we're going to discuss today about who you should hire next. If that's something that you're interested in, you know, please throw an email my way because to whomever's listening, I can help you with that. But I do want to highlight some of those main buckets, which are finance, marketing, sales, ops, and fulfillment, right? That fulfillment of the client work. And especially as therapists, that gets really confusing because I feel like there's almost like a 60-40 split in the in the people that I speak to as therapists. And a lot of them love being therapists. Like they don't want to give up that client work. They went into it for a reason. And that's actually what they really love to do. And they have big business goals. So quite a number of people come to me and they aren't just cut and dry about, oh yeah, I want to hire a bunch of OTs and I'm going to be the CEO forever. They want to grow the business. They're falling in love with it. They want to set the tone. They want to set the brand, right? They want to have the story and the right marketing in place. And they also still want to see some clients. So in terms of who is your next best hire, again, to highlight, we talk about start, grow, and scale phase. And if you are in the startup phase, my recommendation, and I'd be curious to hear yours, Jamie, is bookkeeping or some type of VA to get the $10 tasks off your plate. In the growth phase, you may want to think about an agency model that you discussed earlier, Jamie, in terms of if you want help with fulfillment, then, you know, about how to hire OTs in this case. And then scaling is, you know, a whole other ball of wax that we're not going to address tons today. But that's a bit of an overview of where we're coming from. So I'm going to circle back to the question that I just barreled through, which is, <laughs> do you agree on my recommendation of who gets hired next? And please feel free to disagree if you disagree. No, I definitely agree. I think it's one of those things of getting those $10 tasks off your plate if those $10 tasks are going to give you an ROI for hiring that person. And so sometimes there's $10 tasks on your plate that shouldn't even belong in your business. And you just need to outsource. You need to cut them out completely instead of outsourcing them to somebody else. But if we're talking about the industry with OTs, there's some of those $10 tasks that are essential for you making revenue. So it could be when you talk about your bookkeeper or your VA, that could be helping with your billing. They could be Mm -hmm. helping getting clients scheduled. There's different things that fall in that, that directly tie to your income, your revenue for your business. So I think for this industry, those positions are very important, especially I know there's a lot of different types of bookkeepers out there and some of them do it sometimes, some of them don't, depending on how involved they are and what they want to do. Some of them will go through it and do everything, helping you with your billing, helping you if you're billing to insurance, helping with that. Because those are things that take a lot of time, but without them, you don't get paid, but they don't involve client facing work. So you don't have to do it. And one of the things that, Trish, I know we talked about before getting on the recording was your time is money and you don't earn money by doing the admin work. You can collect money by doing the admin work and sending out those billings, but you don't earn money through it. You earn money by seeing patients. Exactly. And I think, I love your very, very clear list. I'm going to take it a half step further again. Hey, Trish. Yes, Ashley. As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, 
I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay, so where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. And just because I know the questions that I think the OTs will be asking, and that is some of you are at the stage where there's a dotted line to ROI that are listening. And that's a tougher place to be. For example, social media, email marketing, contracts. These are things that could easily suck, you know, an hour a day, an hour and a half, hours a week. And that is not a $10,000 CEO task. Social media is not a $10,000 CEO task. Hiring somebody for $30 an hour while you go and find more clients, while you put your message across to the world, while you develop more programs, while you work on fulfillment, those are $10,000 tasks. So I love what you said, Jamie. If we can get really clear on the ROI, that's the first, first, first place to start. And I think anything to do with money is absolutely the first place. And then that second is if you're like, oh, but I'm paying this person $25, $30, $40 or whatever, an hour. That is still an important place for growth. Yes. And it's one of those things where we talk about ROI and I always say every position that you hire should generate revenue, but there's direct revenue generating positions and indirect revenue generating positions. So you have those ones that you can clearly tie to the dollars. You can say, because I had this person, this amount of money was earned or brought in or collected. Now, these positions over here, they're not directly tied to the dollars where it is, like you said, that that dotted line of, okay, how do I connect it to the specific dollars? And you can't, but it frees up your time So that way you can bring in more revenue because you're not doing those tasks. So that's the one thing way to look at the positions when you're looking at, can this position produce an ROI? It might not be bringing in dollars itself, but it allows you to bring in dollars or allows another team member as you're continuing to grow your team to bring in those dollars. So good. We're speaking the same language, Jamie. I'm so excited. Okay, so let's kind of jump into the meat of things. And you and I went back and forth on what we thought would be the best topic. And we landed on how to attract, interview, and hire the best OTs for your business. Now, that comes with an addendum that says these are going to be practices that are relevant to all sorts of different positions. Exactly. I wanted to specifically look at OTs. And Jamie, as you're answering these questions, you can keep this in your mind. The reason I bring up OTs is because OTs are often hard to find. We're not everywhere. I know some people even in mid-sized cities or mid-sized provinces find it hard to find an OT because what we do is so niche and then there's niches on niches. So as you're answering, you can use it from that lens because for a lot of people, that actually is the hardest part. So do you want to start with attracting and then we'll talk about interviewing and hiring? Is that a good order? 
Yes. I think that's great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously some industries are tougher to hire for in others, but there's still ways to find the idea person that you need. But the, the, First thing to do is when you want to attract team members, attract new OTs to your practice is you got to think about what are you putting out there in the world? What can people find out about your organization, how you work, who you serve or anything like that? So look at things from that outsider's perspective. What does your social media look like? What does your website look like? Is it all about you where they feel like they're coming into a show that is 100% about you? Or is it about- I want it to be the Trish show. Yep, I always say that, yep. Or is it about the people you serve? what your values are as a practice. If you have other team members already, how those team members come into the mix. I was once working with someone in, this was the insurance industry, but insurance is also really hard to find good people because good insurance people aren't looking to change companies. Mm -hmm. And our biggest thing was like, well, you go to your website and this was a pretty successful insurance guy. He wasn't personally serving the clients. When you went to his website, it was all about him and you didn't even know he had a team. As soon as we switched that up to focus on who they serve, the team and all that, he was able to get people that wanted to work for him because they were like, I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't want to be a part of a show that was all about him Mm -hmm. and them doing the work. So that's first thing is like, think about what you're putting out there because especially in today's environment, People aren't just looking for a job to give them a paycheck. They're looking to join a company that matches their values, that they can really feel that they are going to be a long-term fit for. So that's important. Make them see themselves. Yep. I love it. I talk about that in Road to 100K. We just went over a unit last week and it was really, do we market to solve problems, which yes, we do, but really the best way to really market is through movement and through culture. And it is Mm -hmm. a shift. And it's not just this particular generation anymore. It's the whole way of being more conscious of who you are as a company versus we're just going to solve your problem. We're going to solve your problem. So, okay. I never would have thought that as an answer to this question. So I'm so glad you're here. Keep going. (laughs) All right. And then the other thing to do with the track, like we said, people want to work for organizations that they feel like they fit at. The people that are out there looking for opportunities are really looking hard at the opportunities. So you need to speak to that person when you're going out to post the opportunity. So just saying, hey, we're hiring OTs. People are going to look like that and say, great, good luck. Hope you find someone and they're going to move on to the next opportunity. So you really need to know who is your idea candidate. And once again, we're not talking about, all right, do they have a degree? Have they been doing this before? Like as Trish, you mentioned, a lot of people, they are niche focused or stuff like that. So who is the idea person for your company? Who is the idea person for your clients? How do you interact with the clients? As we talk about you know, kind of marketing, there's always that thing of what sets you apart from the competition and when it comes to attracting clients. It's the same thing when it comes to attracting team members. What makes working for your practice unique? Why would someone want to work for you over working for somebody else? And we use all that information to really create a, what we call a candidate attracting job posting. So when someone reads it, they say, wow, they're speaking directly to me. This is my dream job. This is where I want to work. But then it also makes other people say, 
that is not me. I do not see myself being a fit there. And they deselect themselves from the process. So when you do that and you really focus on attracting the right person, you might only have a few applicants, but chances are they're better applicants and they match what you're looking for. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. What about the interview part? Yes. Yeah. So it's always one of those things where people say, well, it's really hard to get a feel of people's actual skills through an interview. It's Q&A versus you know, some sort of live kind of like interaction type thing when it comes to actually seeing their skills. But you don't want to waste your time if bringing people in for a practical interview and seeing their skills if they're not really worthy of that. Because you want to protect your time during the interview process because typically you're hiring because you lack time in your business. (laughs) So you need to start with an interview. And obviously, when you're looking at candidates before that, you're going to look to say, do they have the experience that you're looking for? Do they have the education that you're looking for? And obviously, that's a gatekeeper to get into that first interview. The way in the interview to really identify if someone is the right person is, once again, think of that idea candidate that you want. How are they going to interact with your clients? You know, What is your niche specialty that should they have experience with it before they come in? Or is it something they can learn through That's you? That's a big question for OTs, Know that for sure. stuff. Yep. Yeah. Know that stuff and ask questions specifically designed to uncover that information. Now, you don't want to ask questions of, what would you do if a client had this problem? Because what are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They might have studied. They might have never practiced in that area, but they're like, ooh, I remember this from my training. I would do X, Y, Z. Great. Does that mean they're actually going to do that? Does that mean it's the actual way they interact? Does that mean anything that's going to help you determine if they're the right person, that they can actually do the job? No. So you want to ask questions along the lines of, tell me about a time when. So if you have something that is always coming up with your clients, tell me about a time when you've interacted with a client who experienced this issue. How did you work through it? Or if needed, how did you identify that they had this that needed to be worked on? And stuff like that. So you can really tell, do they have the experience here? Can they give you examples? And does the way they work through that example match what you're looking for in a team member? So you can really narrow down to say, okay, this person does have the right experience. And then you can move them on to that next level to say, all right, through the conversation, they had the right experience, but now maybe let's put them through a little bit of testing case study, hands-on thing to see, can they actually do what they said? How do you feel about flyer questions? And I don't... I don't know exactly the right word for it. I researched this a couple of months ago and I can't remember it. But how do you feel about questions that are designed to come out of left field? So, for example, like, what is your superpower? Or why is a penguin a good pet? What are your thoughts on those? So... Honestly, I hate them. But that I'll I'll get into more of this. But that's like my my personal thing. I'm just like, as a person who is an introvert who thinks Mm -hmm. a lot in my head and then being put on the spot and like some of that, I'm just like, all of a sudden I'm just like, oh my God, I have no idea what to answer. How do I answer it? And I'm going through a lot in my head that they don't know. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of those questions test extroverts 
because they're like, well, I want to know their thought process. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the sign of an extrovert versus an introvert? Extroverts External think processes. out loud, mm-hmm. introverts think in their head. And all of a sudden introverts are in a panic because they're like, I don't know what to say yet. Where extroverts are like, now this isn't across the board all the time, but are most right. likely to start thinking out loud and throw something there and start explaining it. And so you can make one set of candidates really uncomfortable where another set of candidates are like, I don't know if I have the right answer, but I'm just going to talk. And they're not necessarily looking for a right answer. They're looking for this. So I feel like it doesn't always test people appropriately. And as an introvert, those questions make me really uncomfortable. Um, But with everything, I think you need to know with every question, you should have a purpose. You should know why you're asking that question and what you're trying to uncover. Sometimes I've worked with clients where humor is one of the big things in their office. Mm-hmm. As one of my clients said, his office is full of dad jokes. And if you if you really can't handle dad jokes, you're probably not going to last too long in the office. And like other things are like, we're always telling jokes back and forth and this and that. So for an interview for him to throw in some of those things where it's kind of a little bit off the wall and you can bring out a little bit more of those personality. And it's not just like, I'm going to ask this question and then stare at you. I might ask this question. I'm going to laugh a little bit and we're going to have this like lightheartedness in the conversation that could really help identify is a candidate going to be a good fit based on that culture that's important. For some of those other questions, like I said, think about why you're asking them Mm -hmm. and what you're trying to uncover. I tell my clients, if they really, really insist on asking a question like that, you get one. Do not ask more mm-hmm. than one, the entire interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently read an article. I believe it was about Google that they used to ask a lot of these questions and they're starting to get away from it because they realized the questions were being asked more for the interviewer mm-hmm. rather than the interviewee. The mm-hmm. interviewer wanted to stump the interviewee. Mm-hmm. They wanted almost to kind of sometimes in a way like, the interviewee thinks they're acing this interview. Let's put them in their place type thing. Oh, and terrible. they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This Once they really thought about it, they're like, this is not our culture. This is not who we are. And we might be turning people away. And that's what they found out, that there were some candidates that they were just so turned off about how the dynamic shifted with those questions that they didn't want to continue with the process. <sighs> I love the why. It's like the Simon Sinek book, right? It's always like get to why or return. I can't remember what the title of that book is, but it's something about why. And actually, that's one of the reasons on one of the last interviews I had, I did include that because I actually wanted to have them feel that things could be loose around here and kind of goofy and also watch them problem solve. But I never thought of it as an ex, um, an extrovert versus an introvert. And that's a really, really good point of view. And it, um, and it could be one of those things you ask the question and say, hey, I'm going to ask you this question. Feel free to take a moment and think about it. Yeah, that's or a good one. While, while you're thinking of your answer, let yeah. me tell you mine. Like, yeah, that's a good one if it's in person. That, yeah, I think I did it on the it. first written piece of it. But yes, I hear exactly what you're saying. Oh, so insightful. So now let's kind of talk about the practical interview. Because I mean, all of us at this stage of our careers, you know, we needed a graduate degree, if not a doctorate. We've all had jobs. So, I mean, this is like not just the typical, what's the best way to run an interview? Because I think all of us could try to come up with that on our own, just from our own experiences as to how we've gotten to where we are right now. So in terms of that small business owner piece, what do you suggest as something that's quite surprising or that 
those of us in this position wouldn't think of during the interview process. Yeah. So what are the things... The practical interview process is what I meant, Jamie. Yeah. So one of the things to think about is at that point in time, you're not looking necessarily for perfection. And what I mean by this is they don't know your processes. They don't know everything about how you work with stuff. So don't look at them if you're having them go through a scenario. You're having them whether it's maybe on you or on some sort of training you know, dummy or something like that, they you know, figure out, like run through actual like movement and stuff like that. Don't look for perfection of, would I want this person doing this inside my business? Like, is they following our processes, our ways, using our language or stuff like that? Because they don't necessarily know that yet. So you're looking for skill. You're looking for okay, yes, this person went through all this education and they passed their classes, they got their degree, but do they actually know what they're doing? Or maybe they've been a few years out from getting that degree. Have they actually been practicing these particular things? So if you have something that's very common because you're in that niche, do they actually know how to do those things in that niche? Even if they weren't always in that specific niche before, because people could not Mm -hmm. be in niches. Yep but know how to do it. And now they're just going to be doing it more here. Or they could not been in that niche. And they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this since I was in school. And let me see if I remember, like once they're put on the spot. So looking, I would say the things like technique, do they know what to do? How do they handle the situation? And things like that, that they don't need to go through any onboarding with your company to know and understand. Good. Tell me how we should handle the healthcare privacy issue. I get this question all the time. So from a practical perspective, you will be bringing people into your therapy world and clients are protected by HIPAA. What do you recommend for that with people in the same industry? Do you recommend that they, you know, just ask across the board? Do you recommend that they send, you know, an email? Do you recommend they approach some clients one-on-one? Do you recommend that, you know, it should all be done behind like a a window, like a one-way? Like, I'm very curious as to your opinion on that. So I guess, do you mean in the interview process yeah. with them like giving getting examples? People- Yeah. If we're getting people into the practical world, like let's say, you know, you are an outdoor nature therapist and you live in California and it's time for the practical interview. And that involves spending time in nature with children and families. I mean, if we're going to get really hands-on and see how people perform the job, a lot of therapists that come to me and say, well, I want to see them with clients and I want to see how they do in the forest with kids, and yet how do I approach parents with that? Should I approach parents with that? Is it appropriate for candidates to come in in this particular healthcare setting when there are privacy issues? What what have you told your past clients about those? Yes. Okay. So that that is a good question. So the first thing with the, the practical type interviews is it doesn't necessarily need to be real clients. So some of those situations where you're like, well, I want to see how they interact with kids or stuff like that, that could get into kind of like what I'll share in a little bit. But the first part is depending on what you're doing, it doesn't necessarily need to be 
real clients. You could have someone step in as even if it's another team member, or even if it's you sitting there to say, okay, you know, how would you do this? Yes, it's not the exact same because you might not have these same things that they'd be working through if it was a real patient, but you can at least see how they maneuver things and how they work with people. So it doesn't need to be a real client that they're working through. You just It's kind of like it's just a case study. You're giving them information and then they're working. You're seeing how they work through it. For them, the other thing where you really want to see, I want to see how they interact with my clients. So kind of that, that could be that next phase or you could jump right there is get permission from your clients. Let them know we're bringing someone new into our practice. We would like to have a day where they meet with some of our clients and we see how they work with you and get their permission to meet with that person. And then it could even be one of those things. Maybe it's not a normal session. So it could be that this will be a bonus session that we're giving to you as a client for this person to come in because we want to see how they interact. And then you're getting that client permission for them to be there. And do you, I happen to 100% agree. The limiting belief I hear a lot from OTs is, but my clients won't like that. But my clients won't like that. But I don't want to bother my clients. Have you ever found a situation where that has been no across the board, where somebody's like, I really wanted to bring them in with a client and every client said no? I have not. But yeah, think of it either. this way. As you went through your education, mm-hmm you probably went through situations where you were going through training where there were real clients that you were shadowing in offices or possibly doing internships and stuff like that, where you were involved with clients. Mm -hmm. And I even know myself, like there'll be times I'll go into a doctor's office and they'll say, we have some interns here today. Mm -hmm. Would you mind if they come in and like, I think one time I was with a dermatologist, can they do your skin check first? Mm-hmm. And then we'll come in and do it again. But we like to give them that learning opportunity. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I know even when I delivered my first daughter, they, there was nursing students in the hospital that day. And they're like, would you mind if some of the nursing students are in as we're delivering the baby? And some people might be like, heck no, this is a very intimate moment. I am fully exposed. And I was just like, Yep. Sure. Whatever. There's already going to be enough people in here. What's (laughs) what's a few more? They're just going to be sitting there and, and learning and observing because some people will say no, but other people will say, we can't train that next generation. We can't get those new doctors. We can't get more people into this practice. So maybe there's more availability or anything like that, unless we say yes, unless we give them that opportunity. And that's why I think it's better to say, or not saying I'm going to have this person take over your normal appointments. It's we're going to do this additional, or I'm going to be here with them. And it might be a small portion of it. So that way they're still getting what they need from you while they're giving you something. Yeah, I agree. I I also feel like every OT that I know, even with a small, small business, a micro business has fans already. And there's nothing wrong with leaning into those fans. You know, that client that just adores you or that parent or that, you know, child of the adult that you help. Like, I just feel as though there's a certain type of person, kind of like an early adopter of like, you know, tech. Like there is an early adopter of people who will lean into that because they're so happy with your service to date. I mean, the answer I always got was, Trish, I would just love to help. I love what you do around here, right? So I I encourage uh, those who are listening not to be too put off by 
HIPAA and privacy regulations. Yes. And it's one of those things I always say, the answer is always no, unless you ask. So don't be afraid to ask. They might tell you no, and then you just ask the next person. Yeah. I like that a lot. Okay. Let's talk about hiring. So one of the adages I heard maybe a year ago, and I don't remember who said it, or I would quote them, is hire slow, fire fast. And I have almost always done it the opposite (laughs) because I'm just so crunched. Right. So maybe you can talk about that adage as you're talking about the hiring process, because I do like, it's a, you know, callback to what you said earlier, which is like hiring is is the worst time to hire, right? Yes. So I think there's merit in that saying. I think a lot of people interpret it wrong. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people think hire slowly, meaning put off hiring for your business as long as possible Mm. and that you shouldn't hire yet. And that's not what it means. Mm -mm. If you have a need to hire in your business, you're actually doing your business a disservice by not hiring. So as we talked about going back those $10 tasks, the more you keep spending your time on those $10 tasks, the less money you're bringing into your practice overall. So you need to get those off your plate so that way you can grow your business. But when it comes to hiring slowly, what it means is take your time to ensure you're finding the right person instead of just putting a butt in the seat. And that's the thing a lot of people experience. The issue is they're quick to make that hiring decision that they haven't done their due diligence to make sure if it's the right person for them. You should hire slowly, meaning go through all the steps to determine if this person is the right person. Now on the flip side of that, once you find that right person, don't hold off, don't say, Uh, but I need to bring more candidates in to compare them to. A person's either the right person or they're not. Mm. So you could have one person go through your hiring process and they check every box, hire them. You don't need to bring 10 more people through to compare them to, or you might lose that person. And then- Sorry to interrupt you, but OTs are incredibly notorious as over-preparers and overthinkers. It is a theme, theme, theme. So I'm really glad you highlighted that. Yes. And it makes sense. Like you are in an industry where you have to think a lot. You've gone through a lot of schooling. You've studied a lot. Like you are doing amazing work, you know, with people, like you shouldn't always be quick to judge and stuff. And then, yeah, that sometimes that flows over to other parts of the business Mm -hmm. and don't think so much that you lose good candidates. I had a client recently where he had this amazing candidate he wanted to hire, but he kept being like, I need to think about it some more oh, I need to think about it some more. I'm not ready to make the decision. And then telling us, don't push me. And we're like, you're going to lose the candidate. He goes, well, the more you push me, the more I'm going to drag my feet making this decision. And he lost the candidate because he took so long. And then he's like, well, I guess I should have listened to you and I should have made that decision. (laughs) We're like, yes, once you identify the person, you need to make an offer. Otherwise they're going someplace else. Because, and he made the comment, he goes, well, the right person, if they see this as the right fit, will wait for me to make the decision. I said, no, they won't because they're thinking you're not making a decision because you're not sold on them. Mm-hmm. And that if they were the right person, you'd jump to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to lose someone because you take too long to make a decision. And we already talked about how it's difficult to find good people. So when you find the right person, jump on it, make right. that offer. But then when we talk about the fire quickly, this comes to a lot where People don't know how to hire well, so they get the wrong people in and then they're like, fire quickly because they're a bad fit. And when you take your time throughout the hiring process and get the right people into your business, you don't have to fire quickly because 
you have the right person. You did your due diligence to make sure that they're who you need. And so I say, you shouldn't have to fire quickly. Now, occasionally there's things that come up that you could never have detected in the hiring process. And if something comes up where you're like, oh my gosh, this is a big red flag. We need to get this person out of here. Yes, get that person out of there before they do any damage to your business. But when you do your due diligence throughout the hiring process, you should not have to fire quickly. And I also say sometimes people jump to fire quickly instead of ensuring the person is trained properly. Because as you talked about, you're hiring people that have gone through a lot of schooling. They're highly educated. They should be highly knowledgeable with what they're doing but they don't know how to do it yet inside your business. They don't know your processes. They don't know your systems. And you have to train them on that. You might want stuff as a boss as completely different than their last boss wanted things. And if you're not going to train them on what you want, you can't be upset if they're doing something differently. So sometimes you need to train them, give them a little bit more training versus jumping to fire somebody. Yeah. And when I started to take attraction interviewing and hiring more seriously at my former bricks and mortar, it really was the onboarding and the training that was the game changer. That's where I was losing people in a way because I was already tired, quite frankly, of the whole process. And I was like, now go. And again, I saw onboarding as being really, really arduous. And I think there's other ways of doing it, right? Like other staff members can take over. You can, you know, do some through video. You can do some through co-working sessions or whatever. And plus, once you do it, capture that info and then it's just rinse and repeat. And so I I like what you've said about that. And I, I think, again, the OTs that are listening is I don't want you to undervalue the culture of your organization. OTs don't even really think they have a culture. And yet, OT businesses are standouts in terms of company culture without even knowing they've created something very, very special. And onboarding really helps your new hire lean into that and really understand how you want things done. And if you think about it, you have your own practice. Why do you have your own practice versus working for somebody else? There's a lot of people that go their own practice because they didn't necessarily fit into someone else's business. They didn't Mm -hmm. like that culture. They didn't feel like it was right for them. So they're like, let me create what I want, what I'm looking for when I go to work for someone else that doesn't exist. And if that was you, if that's the reason why you have your own practice, look right there. Like you have already created something that's different than what existed because that's what you needed. And that's going to be important to teach people and explain to people throughout the entire process how you're different, how you operate differently than if they were working for one of those other organizations that you decided was not a fit for you. I agree. And I'm so glad you spelled it out that way because I think OTs still undervalue that. Yeah. Okay. So we have rapid fire questions at the end, but before we turn to that, I want to make sure that we have gotten everything that you wanted to say about interviewing or attracting interviewing and hiring. Is there anything that we've left out? So I think the only last thing to add is just adding more onto the onboarding is when we work with our clients to create an onboarding process, it is right. You don't have a whole lot of time, but onboarding is super important. Companies that have really good thorough onboarding plans have higher retention rates. So it's Mm -hmm. not an area that you want to slack, but we focus on creating onboarding plans that allow you to 
still do your work while you're Mm -hmm. training your team member. So like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, using the other resources that are available in your business, using some sort of self-guided training while you're able to work and then you're only getting together for part of it. So don't think about it is if you hire a 40 hour a week team member that you have to be sitting with them 40 hours that first week, that's not feasible and it's not needed to have a good onboarding plan. So you can create a plan that allows you to focus on what you need to focus on that first week while your new team member is still learning and getting everything that they need. You know, OTs are out-of-the-box thinkers, extraordinaires, and, you know, lean into that. If you hear nothing else today from Jamie or from myself, trust your ability to think differently because it will, in my opinion, enrich your growth of your team. And I think you can trust yourself. You don't have to do it the same way that everybody else is doing. You're an entrepreneur after all. Yes. Okay. These are questions that we ask of like every small business owner guest on, on the end. Are you keen on them, Jamie? Yes, I'm up. Okay. Love all right. Okay. So, because I'm the OTs get paid person, some of these are money related. They're not, you know, you don't have to talk about money, but it's really getting a sense of how people spend their time and spend their money. Okay. So the first is, what is your biggest business-related splurge? Yeah, my biggest business-related splurge was a one-to-one coaching program mm. or a consulting program. It was really nerve-wracking at first because I had invested in some other smaller programs that I don't really feel like I got the best return on my investments. But I was ready to try it again. And it was a program that I spent at that time. It was $10,000 to get in for the one-to-one consulting. And it was the best thing I could have done for my business. It was really scary at that moment to spend that money. And I know I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. We love anybody that comes on the podcast that pitches coaching. Yes, it <laughs> is needed. You, you, <laughs> really don't have, I mean, you don't have all the knowledge yourself. You need someone who's going to help you. Along yeah, the way, it, it speeds up and you get a bigger return and it speeds it up. That's always, I mean, I've invested a ton in coaching and I feel the same way. Okay. How about your biggest personal splurge? So we love to travel. So mm. we live in Florida and it gets really hot and humid in the summer. If you have not been in Florida in the summer, it's not fun. So we like to road trip a lot in the summer and go around. So I would say so far, I think this summer's trip is turning out to be probably our uh, heaviest investments money-wise. We're going out to Colorado for <sighs> a little over two weeks. We're renting a house. We're doing some guided rock climbing and you know just a whole bunch of stuff just to enjoy some time in the mountains with family. Beautiful. Well, I'm in the mountains in Canada. I'll make a pitch for your next, next road trip because we are in the same Rocky Mountain where I am. We're in the same, you know, Rocky Mountain Ridge, just a bunch of kilometers to north. So come to Canada next time. Nice. It's my little little unpaid tourism pitch. Okay. (laughs) Where do you have paid help in your life? Yeah. So in my personal life, uh, two areas that we have paid help is we have someone come and mow our lawn and we have a lady comes that helps us clean our house and it is worth every dollar. Um, we've had the person mowing our lawn for years and it, like, like I said, we live in Florida. So our grass grows year rounds. We get no break. And to go from at that point in time, both my husband and I were working in corporate jobs in the office and then to come home and have to mow the lawn on the weekend, it was just like, why are we doing this? So that was one of the first things we outsourced. I would never go back to having to mow the lawn. And then just, uh, I think it was about a little, uh, it was last fall, 
that we finally like said, all right, we need someone to help us clean the house because I don't want to be spending my time on the weekend cleaning my bathroom. So I'm like, nope, never, <laughs> never again. And it's so nice to be able to spend more time with family on the weekends and not have to worry about cleaning. Well, and you know, thanks for saying that because that's the other thing I say too. We didn't discuss this in the ROI conversation, but I am finally brave enough to say, you know what? You can also outsource things so that you can sit on your butt and watch Netflix. Right. Or play with your kids or go to the park or read a book in your backyard. Like my kids are older, so I'm not at the park stage, but I'm telling you, like I will pay somebody. We actually just the last month, it's been bonkers around here in the spring. Just in the last month, we started back on like a food prep service Mm -hmm. thingy. We haven't done that for a number of years. And it's not so that I can, you know, woo another client. It's I spend that time also sitting on my butt watching Netflix and I'm not going to apologize for that, right? I think it's exhausting being an entrepreneur and I love how you highlight family. And also if you were sitting with a lemonade on your porch while somebody was cutting your lawn, I'm all for that now too, people. Yes. Yeah. You need it. I talked to a lot of business owners that Mm -hmm. are in the early stages and they're trying to figure out where am I going to get the best ROI to invest my dollars? And I know there's some people I've said, you need to invest in the personal side before your business. Like Mm -hmm. you need to get that time back. And then you'll either have more time to relax. You feel like you have more of a work-life balance and more time with your kids. Or for those who are trying to grow a business while maybe their kids are at home, it's like, then you have more time to actually focus on your business because it's one less thing you need to do on the personal side. Yeah, that's really astute. Thanks. Okay, last question. If I could wave my magic money wand, Jamie, and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? I would spend it on more team members. So, well, majority. <laughs> we of saw it. that one coming. Yep. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, my goal is to have like an agency where I have a bunch of people doing what I am doing. So, I would spend part of it on starting to get those team members onboarded so they can serve the clients. Obviously, then part of it would have to be spent on some marketing. So I have enough clients. So for those uh, team members to actually have work. And then probably the other portion of it, I would spend on software developments. So there's some things I have coming down the pipeline where we're getting something custom made. And if I had a little extra cash, it'd be done a little bit quicker because that's always one of the things. It's like, sometimes you need to spend some money so things can get done quicker. You can get it into market and you could be making revenue off of it. So that sounds great. It's a bit of a full circle moment from your first kick at the entrepreneurial can. Right. Yes. So good. Well, thank you so much for being here. I want to highlight in the show notes, there's a link and it will take you to podcast resources. And Jamie has put together a free hiring checklist for the listeners of the pod, the OT paid peeps. And with everything that Jamie's gone over today, I just think you're such a wealth of knowledge and I just encourage everybody to go and download that free resource. If they wanted to follow you on social media, where would they go, Jamie? Because we can put that yeah. in pod resources too. Yeah. So we are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram under Growing Your Team. There you go. Well, thank you so much again. It's so nice to have somebody from outside the OT bubble. And I feel really lucky that we could have your expertise here today. Thank you so much for having me, Trish. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. 
I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time. Thank you.